listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have the head of rehab for LAFC, Jason Hahn. Jason, welcome in. Thanks. I appreciate you reaching out and um, excited to share my story. All right, Jason, why don't you give us a little bit of background and introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Jason Hahn. I am a physical therapist, uh, strength and conditioning coach. I'm currently the head of rehab for LAFC, like you said. Um, I grew up in the LA area. So I grew up here in LA. I did my undergrad at Cal Berkeley. Um, I, I focused on athletics for a few years, and then I went to Washington University in St. Louis, and that's where I got my physical therapy degree. Um, after that, I did a sports residency at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and that's far as education, um, it was a great experience working with the Steelers when I was in Pittsburgh. After that, I moved back to LA, uh, worked in a regular orthopedic clinic for a little bit. Um, about a year after that, I started to work for, I worked for Cirque du Soleil for about two years. There was a resident show in, in Hollywood. So I spent some time there. Um, after that show closed, I opened up my own cash-based practice. Um, and, and that's still going, um, that's, I think 10 plus years, almost 10 plus years in that now. Um, but five years ago I went back into professional sports and that's, um, I've been the head of rehab for LAFC, um, since in its, since its inception. So this is my fifth year with the club. Gotcha. So I want to go a little bit further back into your journey. Um, while you were in PT school, did you know that sports would, was your end goal or did you kind of realize that later on? I didn't, you know, as, as your dream is always like when you're in PT school, your dream is to work for in professional sports or with professional players. Um, I, I, I think one of my, in one of my last internships, um, I had time at, at that time it was called athletes performance. Now it's called exos. So I spent time at the, at the center here in LA. And that was kind of like my first, we always knew we liked sports, but it was like, how did we apply it to dynamic activity? And, and, and it was a, a lot of it was the influence of my, uh, my clinical mentor. His name's Omi Iwasaki. Um, he's still with EXOS. He's one of the head guys of, of, of just the system. You know, he still works there, so but he works more on the corporate side now. But um, he was one of my bigger influences into seeing how you could truly apply what you learned in school to actual athletes. Because I think there, I think in school or, or even in an orthopedic clinic, you you get the bits and pieces, but to truly apply it and take it to another level, um, I, that clinical experience is kind of what what did it for me. Right, and so as you're like wrapping up those clinical rotations and you realize sports is kind of in the cards, what made you choose university of Pittsburgh's uh, sports residency program? 
that was kind of like one of the next steps, right? It was like, okay, how can I put myself in a position to uh, learn? And number two, potentially uh, potentially have a position with someone. Um, and then, you know, when most of your classmates are like done with school and like, it's just time to work, it's time to make a living. And then for me, I was like, um, oh, I need to dive in a little bit deeper here. And, and um, I was financially like fortunate enough to kind of be able to do that and you take less pay as a resident and all these kinds of things um but it was it was definitely worth it for for me yeah gotcha um and so after that you went to Cirque du Soleil so obviously there's lots of different areas that they perform in so kind of tell us a little bit more about your time with them it's definitely a learning experience um I I like to say that it uh, performing arts is a sport in itself so where if you ever met like a performing artist, their intrinsic drivers are a little bit different than like a basketball player, a soccer player or whatnot, right? So uh, for the most part, football and soccer, I mean, soccer and basketball or whatnot is to win on the court. You're trying to beat an opponent. When it's in performing arts, your opponent is yourself. They're the ones that are kind of striving for perfection. Um, uh, in performing arts, they're very in tune with their bodies. They talk in a certain, in a manner that's even different from other sports. It's a lot of it's like body awareness where, you know, like if you worked in traditional sports, it's like, hey, do you feel this? They're like, no, I can't get it to go. <laughs> yeah, like, all right, how about here? No, you know, and then, yeah, like there's ways to kind of get them to facilitate them so they can feel it but it takes like a certain type of athlete. You know, you have 10 athletes and maybe five are able to kind of feel those things. But in the performing arts, like 99, 100% of them are very aware of their bodies and the way that they move. Right. Uh, we actually had a uh, another performing arts PT come on a couple episodes ago, um, and she kind of echoed those similar sentiments that, you know, stage athletes and field Sorry. athletes are a little bit different um, in terms of like how they express themselves and how their rehab has to be kind of addressed. Um, so after, after that show closed down, uh, you decided to open your own cash-based clinic, uh, kind of tell us a little bit, what made you want to open your own clinic and then kind of tell us a little bit more about how, how it operates. Well, when I left Cirque, like I, I had an, I, I, I had worked in insurance based and, you know, as a purist, you're, you're, you want to spend time with your clients. You want to have the time to do it, whether it's the hands-on or you're doing the exercises because you feel, I know best. I know how to get this person better. So at that time, you know, cash base wasn't a, a big thing. You know, there were a certain, there were a certain number of people out there that were doing it. Like first and foremost, it was like Jared Carter. Um, there was Aaron LeBauer. Like those are like the the ogs jared carter actually had a book i bought the book um and i started to to read about it and i was like hmm let me give it a shot let me try and fortunate enough it it, it worked well it was just me and me myself and i um in the back of a gym like the it was like the closet or like the you know where you where the, the storage room let's say the storage room of a gym and then when I approached the owner, I was like, hey, can I use this space to um, potentially start my own thing? And, you know, that was the beginning. So it was kind of me, myself, and I for 
at least three or four years. And then unfortunate enough, my wife's a chiropractor. Um, she started her own business on the other side of the gym and uh, in her own room. And then after we got married, we're like, okay, maybe it's time that we expand or have our, our own space, our own business. So we opened our own um, practice collaboratively. I think it's about seven, it's going on seven years now. So, you know, and it's still the same model. It's still cash-based. Um, it's primarily, it's physical therapy, it's chiropractic. We have a strength and conditioning coach. And even recently we started to introduce hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is kind of cool. Very cool. Um, and so, you know, as time went on and L the LAFC club opened up, kind of tell us a little bit how your, your role came about. So originally, um, my mentor, I, I mentioned him before, uh, Omi Iwasaki, um, they were looking at him to be the head of performance. And then he had, you know, he was going through the interview process and all these kinds of things. Um, he ended up not taking the position and then he reached out to me. He goes, hey, they're looking for a PT. Would you be interested? Um, I said, no, because I'm running my own clinic, you know, at that point. And it, it wasn't to a point where I felt I could step away. Um, but he was like, no, let's just, just talk to them and see what you think. And, and, you know, I had, at the time it was Bob Bradley's the coach, um, John, Thorn John Thornton's the GM and had a really good conversation. Um, and I, I was like, okay, let me give it a year. Let me give it a shot. And if you're looking at risk versus reward kinds of things, right. Like, do I take this leap and this and that? And to take this leap, it was, it was like, okay, like there's, there's two heads, right? One head is like, you want to be in pro sports. The other head is I have this business and the purpose of a business is to make money when you're not there, but is it at this point? So it became like a risk versus reward position. I mean, decision where I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I'll pull out even, you know, my wife still works and all these kinds of things, but like, it's like, I love challenges, right? So can I do this, but at the same time, have systems in place. Um, and I brought on um, a good friend who basically took my my place in the business. So at that time, there's two PTs. So me and another person, and then this other person would come in and take my place or take over. But that was kind of like one of the stepping stones of like the start. So after year one, you know, you, you, you recalibrate, should I keep doing this? Um, where is the business at this point? Does this make sense from a personal level, from a financial level, from a family level? Um, and we've made it work. You know, it was most, mostly so because uh, my wife and I were able to get the business to a place where it was relatively doing well and also the support of a of a spouse and i have i had a daughter at that point and now i have two kids you know like it's really like life decisions at that point um mm -hmm. on whether to move forward or not and you know we're, we're in year five now so i, I think we're doing okay <laughs> i would say so <laughs> after five years you're, you're i think you made you know you're on the right path at least um right. i want to go a little before we go into your time you know with lafc there's a couple other things i want to talk about um I saw on your LinkedIn that you were involved with the USA Taekwondo Federation. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, in my in my past life, I was an athlete. So I was on the national team um, for about seven or eight years. Um, so that was another big reason for wanting to go into PT. You know, like it's you, you go through injuries and all those kind of things, and and during the process of getting hurt, you 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 have experiences whether you work on it on your own or um, you actually go to a physical therapist that actually helps you. You know, you're like and you have that experience. So probably in college, I, I tore I tore my MCL twice. I had two grade twos during college and I was fighting on a national team and stuff like that. And then um, just working with a PT and seeing how they get you from point A to point B and um, you start to build a camaraderie with the person relative versus like the, the ortho or the surgeon or whoever that you spent five to seven minutes with. You're like, huh, I kind of like this better. I know I don't make as much money as that guy, but uh, this is more along my vibe. So, you know, that, that's kind of like, now I'm now I'm like forgetting the original question. I'm going off on a tangent. So. You're okay. It was, it was kind of like, how did you, um, like, so obviously you competed on the national team, but then how did right. you get in, involved as like a medical provider after that? Okay. Yeah. So I, I, even after I retired, like when I retired, I went to PT school. So that was kind of like, I was on the team throughout my undergrad. And then at that time, I graduated in 2002. So the goal was the 2004 Olympics. So Athens. So after I graduated from Berkeley, I moved to Colorado Springs. I trained at the training center full time, um, basically through, so I didn't make the Olympic team. Um, so I was like, now my decision was, okay, let's go to PT school. So I was applying and stuff like that. So I ended up um, fighting another year and then went to PT school in 2005. At that point, I still stayed on as an on the athlete advisory council. So like more in like on the political side of things. And once I got my degree, I was like, hmm, um, I started to work with um, some of the athletes that were currently competing. They were asking me like, you know, certain questions. And um, I just kind of like stayed with the organization a little bit more. Um, I started an online business with um, two of my buddies. They're both national team members where at that time it was like we were creating strength and conditioning programs for, um, it was primarily like CrossFit and Taekwondo athletes. So that's kind of like what got me into that. And then we started to spend more time with the governing body of like, okay, you looked at your national team, like what can you do for them? You look at your, you look at grassroots, you look at these athletes, what's the best way to kind of get them into a good uh, space so they can actually succeed. Um, so I was doing that for a while. And then it was really, it was a lot tougher to do once I joined LAFC because just time. Um, but it, it was a good time doing it. Yeah. Um, that's actually really interesting, you know, having, being yourself an athlete and then staying on with that same organization, you know, all throughout PT school and even as a provider afterwards is actually a really cool transition. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your time with LAFC. Uh, so kind of tell us what is entailed being the head of rehab at, for a professional MLS soccer club. I think it's different for every club, you know, like um, I, I know some clubs, you know, you're hired, like you're, you're, you're hired on staff 
And there's sometimes like if you work for like a hospital system and they're like kind of outsourcing. So I, I think for the most part, most clubs are moving towards like the in-house model. Um, so, so again, that's how it started. Um, it's everything from a lot of its organization and communication. I'll start with that first. Cause I, I think we think of like our skills, our skills, our skills. Um, granted they have to be good and they have to be in a place that helps people succeed, but it's really that communication of, um, whether it's interprofessional, whether it's with the SNC coach, whether it's with coaching staff or technical or however you want to look at it. Um, there's that. So coordinating care is probably my, one of my jobs. So if we have eight guys that are injured, I help kind of develop, I try to game plan on what it's going to look like for this particular athlete. So we have uh, short-term views, which is like a week-long view, and then we have a long-term view. So whenever coaches are like, okay, when is this guy going to be back for training? We have a tentative schedule because that's something that they always want to know. And then as, as you know, as a clinician, like someone comes in, like, when can I get back to basketball or whatever? You're like, uh, it depends, right? That's always the answer. But um, I, I try not to make predictions until I have them for about two or three days because the acute state, like, it's crazy. You're going to have two, two or three guys diagnosed with a grade one or grade two. Let's say you, you have them in a group. They all respond differently. And it's, it, you get a sense of how their body responds after working with them for a long time, how they recover um, anywhere from what, what was the mechanism of injury? Was it chronic overuse or was it an acute thing? Or was it, you know, like all those things come into play when you're trying to um, predict how this person is going to do. Um, so one of that is like, okay, timeline, when is this person going to get back? Um, it's coordination with, um, with the rest of the staff members, whether it's the ATs, whether it's the massage therapists, whether SNC, of because I have a clinic brain because I, I own my own practice, that's kind of how I work. I was like, okay, we have pre-training, um, during training and post-training activities. This person's with this person. This person's with this person. And depending how many guys are out, um, depending on the overall staff availability you kind of have to be able to prioritize certain players over others and, and, and stuff like that. Um, it's not like we have a limitless number of professionals trying to treat everyone. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, so that's like the coronation kind of stuff. And then I, I work personally hands-on with, um, with the players, whether it's on the table, in the gym, on the field. Um, I kind of do a little bit of all of it. Um, and, it, and it, again, it depends on the on the player and the situation as a whole. Right. Um, and so when you're working with those athletes, whether it's in the weight room, on the tape, like on the treatment mat or, you know, getting trying to get them back on the field. Um, how do you kind of make sure that those athletes are 100 percent ready to go back to play? You know, because when you go out of PT school, they you're, you're a generalist. They make sure you don't kill anybody. They make sure you don't drop anybody. They make sure you're safe. Right. But when just coming to those higher level rehabs, when you have people running, sprinting as fast as they can and dribbling through, you know, 11 different guys, how do you make sure that person is ready to return back to the field? I, I think one of the big things during the rehab process is 
like the first thing is the diagnosis, right? What is the what is the injury, right? So it's like okay, it's an ankle sprain, let's say, but part of it is also thinking about how did they get there in the first place? You know, was it contact? Was it non-contact? What was the motion? Um, what are underlying factors? And I think that's like the first thing because you're trying to plan what this is going to look like. Um, do they have a pelvic instability problem? Do they have these things? So at least initially, yes, you're you're trying to reduce swelling and getting some motion back at the, the site of injury. But what can I start working on now? What can I start um, getting into their brains that this may be the reason why you're doing stuff? And now it's time to do more, not just focus on your ankle. And I think that's number one, getting them to, to get on board with the process. Um, the other thing is, at least in, in soccer, there's, it's, at least our club is heavily metric driven. So we have a lot of GPS data. We have, we know their high speed running. We know their distance. We know their, like how many XLT cells they do. We know their, even just their overall heart rate response. Um, with our club, we do we do like a form of movement screens in the beginning of the season. We have Nordboard testing, so we're looking at eccentric hamstring strength. We're looking at we have groin bar. We have a lot of these readings. So depending on the injury, if it's a hamstring injury, at least we want to get their their side to side eccentric hamstring strength close to 90%. Let's say um, we want to get their max speed sprint close to 90 or 95%. Um, we look at their total volume. So at least when we get them on when we get them on the field, we try to build programs that will mimic the volume of a training. Although the stimulus is very different, right? You it's you and it's the player and me or the player and me and another person trying to replicate stuff. Um, and that so we look at overall volume, we look at metrics to see if they're safe to do, to get back into training. So what type of training um, we, we get to decide. We work uh, in conjunction with the technical staff. We, we will know what the training layout looks like. Um, then we can decide collectively is like, okay, is it okay with you if this player X gets to do this drill and this drill? Or in this drill and this drill, can he be a neutral instead? Or can he be on 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 the outskirts? Um, we're able to kind of manipulate those types of things so they have a training stimulus with the team, but we don't tax the injury in in a negative way. So those are kind of like the the little ways that we will manipulate whether it's our numbers or whether it's training um, to get to in, to get that integration a little bit better. It's never perfect. But, you know, it's it's uh, that's a that's that's one of the ways that we do it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting hearing how each different organization and each clinician kind of goes about to make sure that, you know, their patients are ready to go, especially, you know, coming from a professional soccer team. You guys have a little bit more resources. And so it's interesting to hear about, you know, how you guys go about that. Um, and so speaking of those athletes, uh, especially professional athletes, a lot of times people on this podcast have kind of said that athletes are often guarded with who they give their care to just because their bodies are, are basically their, their largest commodity. And, you know, they may have had bad, you know, experiences in the past with other medical professionals. So how do you kind of work on building that buy-in with somebody that is, you know, kind of guarded with who they give their care out to? 
I, I think it's, I would say just, just be real, be real with them. Um, like, like you said, trust is, is the number one thing you, you can't go into any relationship trying to like change everything. You know, it's, it's okay. What is, you know, it's having a conversation. It's what's worked for you in the past. What hasn't worked with you in the past. Um, um, whether it's in a, if you're in a clinical setting, they're ending up on your, in your doors for a reason. They probably failed somewhere else, you know? So if they failed somewhere else or, or they're a little bit hesitant about working with you because of X, Y, Z, I was like, okay, what's worked with you? What hasn't? Um, maybe we try to manipulate this one thing and, and see how you feel. You know, you're not trying to change everything. You're just trying to change one thing at a time until you, um, you can build that trust. They, they understand that you're, you, you mean well. And if, I think with most relationships, if, if someone is truly trying to help you or truly honest with you, you can feel that. And then, you know, vice versa, when everyone's just trying to swindle you and just trying to get you to pay money, that's a different, you know, that's a different way of looking at it too. But I think people are smart. Athletes have dealt with enough people that um, we, we work in a sport, we work in an industry where everyone's always trying to like rub elbows and like, oh, I do this. Or it's like, everyone's like a salesperson. So I'm really not that personality. I'm like, okay, like, what do you need? It's like, okay, this is probably what I do, but um, let's just go one step at a time. You tell me if something bothers you, you tell me if something, uh, you don't like something and then we'll, we'll work together and I'll just be honest with you. So I think, Maybe it's just my style of, of communication. I'm just very upfront. I'm very honest. And if I can't do something, I'll tell you I can't do something. If I don't know something, I'll say I'll ask someone. I'm not going to bullshit you and say, well, yeah, it's this. I was like, no, actually, I don't know. But let me reach out to someone that might know. If you have to have some humility um, when it comes to certain things, because I think people appreciate that. They know when you're trying to BS them. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's the onus on each and every one of us to be honest with the person. And yeah, there is part of it, a fake it till you make it, you know, in clinical practice, but fake it till you make it where like, okay, you think this is the thing and go with it. But if you're in a place where you have totally no idea, it's like, okay, let me, let me get a little, let me have some humility here and, and ask, ask someone. And, and, and that's part of being working collaboratively in a group, right? It, it, whether it's at the club or whether it's at my clinic, that if someone doesn't know something, ask. And then we can collectively like talk about it and then make you a better clinician in the long run. So when, when that situation happens again, you know what to do. That's the only way we grow. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go in a different direction a little bit. Uh, so you've been working in sports PT for quite a while now as an athlete and then, you know, as a clinician as well. Um, so why is sports PT so fulfilling to you? What, what makes it, you know, when you wake up and you're like, you know, I'm excited to go to my job and do, you know, get to do this for a living. Despite not sleeping. No, Despite not sleeping. <laughs> no, I, I, I personally, I, like I said, I was in that world for a while. And there's something about it that kind of drives you. It's like, yeah, it's a grind. Yeah, but cliche, the sweat, the tears and all, it's true. You know, it's, it's, it's all about the stuff that 
happens behind closed doors. You know, everyone sees what happens on the pitch, but they don't, they don't see what happens like on the table, the tears of the athlete and them being scared about their careers and stuff like that. So obviously the, the PTs and stuff rarely get the recognition, but I think it's the relationships that you start to grow with your athletes and they're, they're extremely thankful for, to you. I mean, thankful to you and, and like, you helped me get here and, and, and stuff like that. Like, I think I recently saw um, when the Warriors won, right? Like Clay Thompson ran over to Scalabrini. I think that's his name, the, the head at Golden State. Mm-hmm. And right, he, he went through, a, I believe, an ACL and an Achilles. And now right. he's NBA champion again. So I, I think we have to be selfless in that sense because we're not going to get all the media attention. We're not going to get IG posts or whoever, or whatever it is, right? But we're going to get that one-on-one appreciation from certain athletes. It's not all of them. But I think, I think throughout your career, you start to develop relationships with certain people that you can hold forever. And that's the same with any friendships that you have, whether it's your family or whether it's your friends. There's certain ones that you're like, this is worth it. And the same thing happens in athletics, whether it's the athletes or whether it's my peers, whether it's the, you know, the coaching staff. If you're in a good place, you're a good person, you're in a good organization, you're going to develop some relationships that you'll, that'll last a lifetime. So in my, my time at LAFC, we, we've done well over the years. Were, were things perfect? Absolutely not. But it, was, it is worth it enough that I'm like, I love my job most days. And then, you know, and then, and then again, like there are the negative parts of, of negative or really tiring parts of, of being in my position, but it's, it's all a matter of perspective. And, you know, everyone talks about being grateful for things. And that's one of the first things I do. I have my, I'm big on personal development. So like your gratitude statements and, you know, like personal mantras and all that kind of stuff. And I think every day, if, if you start in a good way of like, okay, I'm grateful for the position that I have. I'm grateful for these things. Then at least your day is going to be better versus like, oh man, I have this guy and this guy. And it's all a matter of perspective. It's, it, it's, you have to be really strong mentally to change things in your favor because there is no such thing as a perfect job. There's no such thing as a perfect life. Um, there's no such thing as enough money or whatever it is. But it's truly how do you switch your brain to look at things in a positive light? If you do, I feel that your chances of success, whatever it is that you do, are greater versus having a negative attitude. So that's kind of like what I take um, into sports, whether it's into sports or my business or my family. And you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm busy. I'm a grinder. But for me, it's worth it to do these things. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a great attitude to have. Um, especially, you know, when you're bogged down by notes and you have that patient that you're kind of not looking forward to, you know, working with having that attitude Mm -hmm. of, you know, I get to have a job where I get to help people. And even if this person is not my favorite person, I have the opportunity and they've given me the opportunity to, you know, help them out. I think that's a great mindset to have and can definitely help you in the future. Uh, Yeah, hundred percent. I talk with my, my, my staff at my office all the time. And that is one part that's 
when you're in an orthopedic clinic, it's, it's exhausting at times and it's tiring at times. And uh, the truth of the matter is number one, it's, you know, this is the profession that you signed up for number one. And, and it, it may not be as beautiful as you thought it was going to be when you went into PT school or you were during it and you're like, okay, I'm going to have this. And the reality is it's not always that it's, it's rarely that, but like you said, you have a job where you're able to help others. And if you can look at it in a way where it's not just healing their knee pain and I know this person's annoying and this guy talks all the time or whatever it is, if you can like get away from that part and change things in their life, right? It's not just your knee pain. It's like, no, I'm getting this guy to freaking golf 18 holes because that is why, that is his release in life. Without it, he is freaking miserable. He's, he's miserable. He's miserable to his family. He's miserable to his kids. I'm helping improve his life so he can improve the other people around him. So we have to sometimes find ways. Like I said, it's all perception. How do I get this person? How can I improve this person's life? Not just the injury itself. And I get it when you're grinding and you're seeing all these patients over and over again. It's, it's easy to just focus on that but it's taking a step back and looking at it from a big chip, big picture standpoint, which it, it'll help you be, be successful. Number one, but number two, it'll give you longevity. You know, it, it's like, uh, I've been doing it close to 15, 10, 15. I don't even know how many years now, like let's say 15 <laughs> years now. And you know, you, you have younger PTs, you know, three, four, three, four years in and they're like, ah, you know, and, and really, it's like, okay, we've all been there, but again, how do you switch your brain? You're extremely lucky to, to have a position. You're extremely lucky to, to help people. You're extremely lucky to uh, make money in, in this society or this ec economy. And yeah, like gas is high and this and that. And you know, like they all suck. But if we just focus on the negativity, it takes away from what we were meant to do in some respects. So I go yeah, on, I absolutely. go on tangents. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, that, I think that's been great. Um, you know, I feel like we could all use that type of mindset every once in a while, especially when we get down. Um, but I do want to switch up to um, kind of what it's like to be you like a day in the life for you um, as a business owner and, you know, head of rehab. I'm sure your days are different every single day. And I'm sure there's, different things that pop up, but kind of give us like what a sample day in the life would be for you. Um, I'm a creature of habit. So I like, I like structure. Um, I typically wake up at four 30 or 5. AM. Um, that's when like the kids are asleep and no one's bugging me. So there's like a lot of clarity, right? It's, it's like, it's only me. Um, so I wake up at four 30 or five. I, I meditate. Um, recently I started doing some more like brain games and stuff like that to kind of get me firing a little bit. It's, I like to tinker around with stuff. Um, I do a mushroom coffee thing. I, you know, I used to watch, I, I used to listen to Tim Ferriss. So like mushroom coffee be, became a thing, but usually my mornings are okay. I have some clarity. I can work on whether it's the business or whether it's something with the club, you know, whatever my priorities are. 
Um, so, but I start off with gratitude, like I journal, I, I structure my day and these are my, my things that I have to, or my must haves or my must succeeds. Um, and then like, again, I'll, I'll go into whether it's for the business or whether it's for the club or the family, you know, getting these things done. Um, my daughter wakes up around 6.45, I get her up, take her to the potty, give her something to eat, and then I go straight to the club. So for me, it's like, yeah, my busy schedules, but like for me, like my family's important. So I need, uh, some days I don't see my kids at all, you know, but that, like that 10, 15 minutes that I have with my daughter is like fulfilling enough to a certain, to a certain degree. And, and again, like you have to have good family support um, to live the life that I live. Um, I kiss my wife and I'm out the door. So I, I go to the club. Um, I, I'm fortunate enough that I live actually really close to the club. So get there around 7.15, 7.30. We usually have a all performance staff meeting. So it's the performance staff and the, the medical staff together. Um, we look at the training for the day. Um, have a quick breakfast and then you're, and then you're treating players pre-training. So you're treating players like the priority before training is to get the healthy players ready for training. Um, at least the structure that we do. Um, if we have, we're overloaded with rehab clients or, or hurt players, um, we'll get them earlier as well. Um, during training is where I do the bulk of my rehab, um, whether it's in the gym or whether it's on the table, whether it's on the pitch. Um, afterwards you're doing um, work with rehabs and or the healthy players coming off the pitch. Um, certain days we have a massage therapist come in so we, we can kind of delegate some of those tasks. Um, after that, we recalibrate, we get together. How did the day go? Um, what, could, what, what are things that we could have done better? Um, planning out the next day. So I will like send, so after communicating with um, everyone on how each rehab did or how like certain players that are coming back from rehab, how they do. You're looking at their numbers, you're looking at their RPEs, you're looking at, you know, checking in with them to find out how they felt during training. Um, so again, like we get back together, we discuss what not only the next day looks like, but what the rest of the week looks like, you know, depending on the case. So I usually send something um, to the performance staff showing the schedule for the next day. Um, after that point, I'll go straight to my office. I usually have meetings scheduled, you know, like I get there in the late afternoon. So whether it's like 3.30 or so, like something like that, um, then I have, then I'm there for maybe in uh, two hours or so. So at meetings, whether it's with operations, sales, marketing, uh, with individual PTs or Kairos, you know, trying to structure everything, get home, seven six thirty seven eat put my kids to bed i try to sleep by nine thirty, so i can rinse and repeat you know and that's typically my my schedule and what i try to hold myself accountable to yeah i think it's a i always like to ask this question because you know when people want to get into sports pt like myself included it's always good to kind of have an idea of what you're getting yourself into you know um a lot of times from what I've heard from different sports PTs at different levels, you know, it's not a typical like nine to five or eight to four or whatever it is. You know, it's a lot longer hours and a lot of different things that are not PT related. Like you have to, if you have to meet with marketing or sales, you know, that's something that we didn't go to PT school for 
that's mm -hmm. something that's included in your job description. So um, last question I got for you, Jason, what's a piece of advice you would have for someone that wants to get into sports PT, um, whether they're an undergrad call like or PT school or, you know, whatever stage of life they're in. I would say, um, one, it's not easy. Um, and if it is a passion of yours, I always cliche, right? You know, you, you surround yourself with, you know, people you want to be like people that influence you in a, in a positive manner. So like, I think we didn't have like podcasts like this when, you know, when I was coming up, you know, and I think this is one step to kind of get a sense of, of what it's like, you know, and then, you know, like it's part of it is reaching out to people and trying to, and trying to communicate with them. And we are in an age where things are so busy, right? So like I get hit up all the time and it's hard for me to respond to people. So if you're on the other end and let's say you're reaching out to someone and they don't respond, if you really want to talk to them, you can reach out to them again, reach out to them again. And, and if, and, and don't look at things as a negative thing, right? So like if things don't, don't go your way, you're like, oh, this sucks. And it was like, no, like what's next? That's life. Life is going to hit you with certain things that just don't go your way. You're going to have shit some days. You're going to have this one day. And it's just like, it's how do you pick yourself up and move forward? So I would say, um, number one, surround yourself with good people. Try to, try to network with, with individuals that um, you want to be like. And there's always people out there that are willing to kind of share their story with you. And, and again, it's, it's also rare to kind of find someone that's totally didn't give you everything to you, you know, especially in this day and age. Um, but uh, I think, like I said, surround yourself with good people. Um, don't take things in a negative manner when they don't go your way. Um, work on your skills. But at the end of the day, your skills alone are not going to get you a position. They will not. It's your skills in conjunction with your willingness to do what it takes to, I'm not like, you're not trying to up other people. It's, we want us, I want to see someone that's willing to like, not always look out about themselves. They want to, you, you want to, you want to help other people. You want to do what it takes. You want to go the extra mile to, to show like, Hey, I'm in here. I'm in these things for the right reason. I'm not trying to like, just to say I'm a sports PT and, and take a paycheck. It's like, you are willing to work with clients or spend extra time with them. If you have, if you have available, go and watch them um, at their meet, go learn the other side of things. That's going to give you a much better perspective when you are in an interview or you do to talk to someone like me, or then I can kind of like, the way that I interview, even in my practice or, or, or anything is like, okay, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Cause you can, you can BS the first two, three levels, but you can't BS 10 levels in cause I'll keep asking questions, you know? So you, like do, do your due diligence when it comes to trying to be better. And it's not just the skills, it's you as a person. How are you going to be better? How are you, when you're put in a situation, going to be going to be able to handle yourself whether it goes well or whether it goes bad you know that, again that's my roundabout three answer 
three answers for that question. No, I think that's great. Um, I think all of, you know, everything that you've talked about today has been really great. And hopefully someone that's listening can kind of take a great a piece of advice and kind of implement it into their lives and practice. Um, with that being said, Jason, um, this has been, you know, awesome 45 minutes of talking to you. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to out of your busy schedule to, you know, chat and hopefully give people some good advice. Um, is there anything that you'd like to plug or kind of shout out there? No, just check out LAFC if you haven't, you know, um, if you're a PT and you're looking to work in a cash-based practice, you can always look at my clinic. It's uh, healthfitinc.com. We're healthfit physical therapy and chiropractic. We're in Pasadena. Um, we're always looking for um, up-and-coming uh, PTs or, or any kind of rehab professionals to uh, potentially join our team. Um, so you can always check that stuff out. I do have a website, drjasonhan, drjasonhan.com. There's not much on it. But if you want to check it out, you can. <laughs> all right, perfect. I will make sure I link all of those below. Um, Jason, I really appreciate, again, I appreciate all the time that you've given us. And uh, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Huge thank you to Jason Hahn of the MLS's LAFC soccer team for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. If you liked what you heard from today's guests or want to hear more from great future guests, Please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.